Hi everyone, it's Lockie the Geek here. It's my favourite week of the year. It's Bathurst 1000 Race Week, which means I have a podcast for you, your essential pre-event listening guide for this year's great race. I'm joined by my good mate and sports journalist Shane Jones. We go through every car in the field, tell you how we think they're going to go, and of course we answer the all-important question of who we think is going to win the 2022 edition of Australia's Great Race. This year, it's the last year that we see the traditional Holden versus Ford rivalry that's captivated Aussie households for many years. I've got a feeling this year's race is going to be something special. So, without any further ado, let's get into it. Your 2022 Bathurst 1000 Preview Podcast. As has been tradition for the last few years, it's Shane Jones joining me for the Bathurst 1000 Preview Podcast. And Jonesy, Bathurst is finally back to its normal spot on the calendar the second weekend of October. And for the first time since 2019, it's also not the last event on the Supercars calendar. Yeah, it's got that normality. Hello, everyone, by the way. It's got that normality back, which is nice. It's nice to have some form of normality you have the afl grand final on the second the last weekend of september you have the nro grand final the first weekend of october and then the second week of october is the bathurst 1000 so it feels like after a couple of years of covid and a bit of abnormality we're finally getting some normality in our lives and because of the fact that we've got three wild cards in the field this year 28 cars on the grid biggest field that we've seen for a while absolutely it's great it's great that we've got three wild cards, each with their own little story, and we'll get to them a little bit later. But it's also a big, bit of a significant event this year as well. We've got Holden having their last ever Bathurst 1000 before um, they leave the sport. I know they've already left the sport, but the cars are still in use uh, this year, and this will be the final time that, they've, that, that they're going to be used before next year when we when we move to the Camaro um, for Chevrolet. And then obviously Ford will, will continue with the Mustang into Gen 3. So this is a bit of a significant um Bathurst 1000 for Holden as well. And Holden's the, the most successful make at the Bathurst 1000. So this is their last opportunity to add one more win before, well, everyone else gets their opportunity to chase them down over the next few years. The last couple of years at Bathurst, by the time we've got to the mountain, the championship has already been wrapped up because Scott McLaughlin had an unassailable lead in 2020. And last year, Shane Van Gisbergen was too far ahead as well for anybody to be able to catch him. This year, mathematically, championship not wrapped up, but realistically, you would have to say that Shane Van Gisbergen already has one hand on the trophy and it would have to take a disaster, not just at Bathurst, but also at probably both the Gold Coast and Adelaide 500 for him to lose it from here. Well, he can actually wrap it up at Bathurst. The way, the way that he's going, he leads by 525 points over Cameron Waters. So the, the field of play basically is if he wins Bathurst, and Cam finishes lower than fifth, well, Shane wraps up the title um, pretty much before the Gold Coast, which is extraordinary. Two rounds to go, and he will have an unassailable lead, which is just nuts for this type of championship. We've never had it before where, where a driver's wrapped it up with two rounds to go, let alone with one round to go, or we've headed into a decider. So, um, yeah, Van Gisbergen can actually wrap up the, uh, the, the championship at Bathurst. Uh, he pretty much, as long as he beats everyone else... 
it's only really Cam Waters he needs to keep an eye on. And, and, it, and if he can get a better advantage than him of about 75, 76 points, that's it. That's him with the championship this year. Just to give you an idea of how dominant he's been, last time a driver wrapped up the championship at Bathurst with rounds still remaining, you have to go all the way back to 2002 with Mark Gates. So that's 20 years ago. Um, you know, before you go back to somebody wrapping up the championship with multiple rounds still remaining. And his numbers this year are matching uh, Scaife's numbers from 2002. I believe he's really close to matching Scaife's podium ratio for the year. I think Scaife broke the record for most podiums in a season in that season alone. And Van Gisbergen's closing in on that mark. And his wins this year is, is extraordinary. I think he's closing in on that record as well. So, yeah, he's got plenty to play for, even though the championship's more than likely going to be his over the next one to two, maybe three rounds if it does get to Adelaide. Well, as has become tradition in our podcast, we're going to go through every car in the field. We're going to talk about each driver's season so far, go through their stats in terms of their, their Bathurst history, and we're going to give a prediction on how we think each car in the field will go. So we'll run through in number order. We'll start with uh, car number two. So interestingly, yet again, no car number one on the grid because Shane Van Gisbergen, despite the fact that he's the reigning champion, has elected not to run the number one. So car number two, Walkinshaw, Andrea United for Nick Perkett and Warren Luff. Nick Perkett, 11 starts, 10 finishes, best result, his win on debut back in 2011 with Garth Tander. Warren Luff, 21 starts, 15 finishes, Best result of second on two occasions with Scott Pye in 2017 and 2018. But Warren Luff's record of finishing on the podium at Bathurst is well documented. And last year, he was in the top five again with Bryce Fullwood. 100%. Yeah, Warren Luff is is the king of co-drivers when it comes to Bathurst. He's always there or thereabouts. And you'd probably expect nothing different again this year with this combination. The only... Um, heading into this podcast, I did my own rankings of one to 28 uh, for every combination and, and based them on three factors, basically the team itself, how they've been going for the year and how strong they've been. And also a little bit of Bathurst, um, I guess a little bit of Bathurst in there as well, how they've been going at Bathurst in previous years, the driver combo, how both of those pairings match up against each other. And then the form of the driver that's originally in the car for, throughout the season. And uh, Perkett, and Luff, for me, rated really highly as a, as a team, as in Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, and also as a driver combo. But the big area where they lacked and probably didn't put them as high as up, up as some of the others is the form of Nick Perkett and the form of the team with car number two this year. It's not been great. They've really, really struggled to give Nick a car that's been able to match his teammate Chas Mostert this year. And that's the lingering factor that I have with this year's 1,000. Can they get that car in the window, like last year with, with car 25, can they get that car in the window to potentially de- deliver them a podium or even a win? That's the that's the million-dollar question. If that ingredient does come to, to reality for them, they can absolutely be a, a podium or even a winner. Um, Warren Luff's a very capable co-driver. Um, Nick Perkett himself is a really accomplished driver, particularly at the mountain. He's won it before with Garth Tander. So that's... That's the question. Can the car be there for them in the 1,000? I probably lean towards a no. Uh, I think there's other combinations that I think are stronger that will probably be better than them at the mountain. But they can. I've got them in between 6 and 10. I've got them in between um, 
in the top 10 at least and, and pushing for that top six finish at the end of the in the race. So um, absolutely, they can be a, a contender again and Warren Luff can continue his uh, uncanny record of being on the podium in most years. I do agree with you that the form of Nick Perkett relative to his teammate Chaz Mostert is a concern. You look at Chaz Mostert's results this year, nine podium finishes, including four race victories, whereas Nick Perkett only one top five finish. Uh, that's his best result of the year, fifth in one of the races at the Australian Grand Prix. And they're not by any means the only team that could potentially be affected by this, but double stacking. If there's a situation where they have to queue up behind the Chas Mostert, Fabian Coulthard car in a, a pit stop under a safety car scenario, then they could be disadvantaged. So, um, yeah, I, I think tail end of the top 10. I tend to agree with you on that. I think double stacking is going to be the theme of the month. So if you're probably playing along with the drinking game, double stacking might be one of those one of those topics <laughs> that we, we, we might be drinking to. Moving on to car number three for Cool Drive Racing, one of the single car teams in the field, Tim Slade and Tim Blanchard. Bathurst records for both of them. Tim Slade, 12 starts, 10 finishes, best result of fifth in 2020 with Scott McLaughlin. Tim Blanchard, 11 starts, 9 finishes. Best result came last year with Tim Slade when... They finished in ninth position. And when you have a look at the form of Tim Slade this year, it started off pretty well. He was consistently there or thereabouts inside the top 10, but the form has dropped away a bit as the season's progressed. We're going to get to a point in this podcast with a lot of combinations where we're going to go, yep, the form for this year has not been so good. What will what will Bathurst provide? And a lot of us will probably throw that form at the out the window and go their Bathurst form will probably get them into a good position. And this is one combination I'm actually keen to put into that category. Um, I'm going to ignore most of the form for Slade this year. Yes. It's not been great. It's been sometimes quite average and not where they really want to be. But when it comes to Bathurst, they've been excellent. Um, we will never forget the 2021 round where it was held at the start of the season at Bathurst. Tim Slade was fighting for that podium. Last year, they qualified inside the top 10 in the shootout, and I think we're in the top five, and then they ended up finishing inside the top 10. That form, to me, should continue into this year's campaign. They know how to get their car in the window. They've got a really experienced combination. Both Slade and Blanchard know how to drive together. That's going to be huge at the mountain. So for me, when it came to combining all the factors together, they pretty much had high numbers for, for, for all the categories and they were pretty consistent, which is what you need at Bathurst. So I've got them in, in the 10. I've got them between 6 to 10 and I think that's where they're going to be. Obviously, luck could bring them inside the top five, but I think they're going to be a good combination to, to, to be there or thereabouts in the final 30 laps and if factors go their way, go their way they can definitely be on the podium, maybe even win it, but I think in the, in the lower, lower, form, lower, lower half of the top 10, I think that's whereabouts they're going to be this year. I probably have them slightly lower, maybe 8 to 13, just based on the competitiveness of some of the other combinations and their form this season. Moving on to car number four, Jack Smith and Jackson Evans. Jack Smith, he's had three starts at Mount Panorama, one finish, best result of 17th in 2021 with David Wall. And Jackson Evans making his debut in the Bathurst 1000 this year, but he certainly had prior experience on the mountain in Porsche Carrera Cup. 
and also the Bathurst 12 hour. We've seen that he's had some really good results overseas as well uh, as part of the, the international Porsche racing that he's been doing. So he's a well-credentialed driver who comes into the Brad Jones racing team and gets a well-deserved opportunity to make his first Bathurst 1000 start. Absolutely. Well, he got the, the nod ahead of David Wall, who opted not to, to take the seat like he did last year. Uh, with this combination and, and made the decision, yeah, he would. Fo- I think he was focusing on the Porsche Carrera Cup title, which he's heavily involved in, and, and he's a really good chance of probably winning it this year as well. So Jackson gets his opportunity, and um, that the biggest thing for him is going to be, can he get used to a supercar compared to what he's been driving with, with, with his um, Porsches? That's the million-dollar question. Can he quickly adapt to a, to a supercar and, and what it's capable of doing at the mountain compared to a, to a Carrera Cup car? I have no doubt he'll he'll acclimatise pretty quickly. He's a talented driver and he's a very good steerer. So there's no doubt about that. The, the big doubt comes with the actual combination itself. Um, Smith hasn't been um, quick at all this year. He's struggled to be in the top 15, to be brutally honest. And um, yeah, he finished 17th last year. And the strategy for them is probably going to be exactly the same as what it was last year. Stay on the lead lap, keep out of trouble, make sure they're there with 30 laps to go and then just capitalise on whatever position they can get. 17th was it last year there's absolutely no chance uh, no there's absolutely no um no surprise that they could do it again they could easily be top 15 if they keep their head out of trouble and do what they need to do so um that would be the goal for them just to finish inside the, the top 15 i actually don't have them in the top 15 i have them towards the bottom six but um we know what the mountains like if you keep your head out of trouble there is a good offering of, of a position at the end and they can certainly do that I'm excited to see what Jackson Evans can achieve in his first race in a supercar at the mountain. I think that's probably going to be the story of the race for that particular car because Jackson Evans, uh, this year he's been racing in the World Endurance Championship. Let's not forget that with the Dempsey Proton Racing Team. And at the Le Mans 24-hour, teaming up with Christian Reid and Matt Campbell, ended up finishing fifth in the GTE AM class in a Porsche 911 RSR. Matt Campbell, another driver in the Bathurst 1000 this year who we'll talk about a bit later on, but an exciting opportunity for Jackson Evans. Uh, all right, car number five, Tickford Racing, James Courtney and Zane Goddard. James Courtney, 16 starts, 13 finishes, best result of second in 2007 with David Bernard. Zane Goddard, two starts and yet to finish the race. Yeah, James Courtney, it's been a mixed season, I suppose you would say, for James. He's had some good results, a couple of podium finishes, but a bit of inconsistency as well. He reminds me of what, we'll get to him a little bit later, but Scott, he reminds me of Scott Pye's season. When he's on, he's he's inside the top six, really strong, really good performances. But when he's in the bottom half of the field, he always gets into a mess. He has an incident, has a crash, and um, just poor results and poor weekends that follow. So what side are they going to lie on when it comes to the 1,000? Well, we don't, we don't know. But, I mean, last year, if you look at what Courtney did, they were, he was a lap down um, after Randall put the car in, into, uh, into the sand at, at the first turn and about lap 17. Courtney then fought his way back, got the lap back and finished inside the top eight. He was extraordinary. So I have no doubt that, they, that the combination could do it again. The car's going to be quick. Tickford have been quick at the mountain before for the last few years, so you have no doubt that they'll get the car in the window. Zane Goddard's probably an upgrade a little bit on what um, Randall was last year. No disrespect to Randall, but Zane's had a full season in supercars. He's had 
more experience than what Randall did at that time of his career. So I think this combination is better than last year. I think everything's there to, to do a good result, but I just don't think it's going to be good enough to, to be the top because there's so many other combinations that are ahead of them. But they can be inside the top 10. I've got them just outside the top 10, but they, they can certainly be in the top 10. And I think a, a top 10 finish, even a top six finish, would not surprise me at all, given what happened last year and given the way that that car can be put in the window again this year. Zane Goddard's got a point to prove as well. Lost his full-time drive at the end of last year from Matt Stone Racing. Desperately wants to get himself back onto the main game grid. What better way to audition for it than to put in a sterling performance at Bathurst? We've seen that it's worked before for people like Lee Holdsworth. You do a good job as a co-driver at Bathurst, and it certainly catches the attention of teams up and down pit lane. And he's had the experience in a Gen 3 car as well throughout the whole season. So if he puts a good performance in, in the 1000, he's got the experience of Gen 3 because he's been testing the car. Uh, it puts him in a very good window to get a seat. And there's a couple of seats that are available heading into the end of the year. So, yep, he's, he's, he's auditioning for sure. From the number five Tickford Racing car, we move to the number six car, which will be shared by Cameron Waters and James Moffat. Cameron Waters, nine starts, eight finishes, He's been second twice, 2020 with Will Davison and 2021 with James Moffat. So James Moffat, 12 starts, 10 finishes, and as well as finishing second last year with Cameron Waters, he was also second in that wild 2014 race with Taz Douglas in the Nissan Altima. Cameron Waters, he's been on the second step of the podium the last two years, can he finally break through and get onto that top step this year? You definitely have to say that based on the form of Cameron and of the car throughout the season, this is one of the main contenders for victory. This is the first time in his career at the mountain that he's going to have a co-driver that he's raced with two two times in a row. Um, Every other year, it's been a new co-driver. This time, he has some continuity with with his co-driver, which is huge for him. Um, Obviously, uh, Moffat last year, drove with him. So that continuity continues, which is probably good for him. Um, it gives him an understanding of what's needed, what's required, and they can pretty much get straight into the weekend rather than sort of getting to know each other and getting to know what what, what one person likes in the car and what the other person may not like in the car and et cetera, et cetera. So they've already got that advantage. They already know what, what they need. They already know what they need to do. So it's going to be really key um, for him to get that car in the window because we've seen the last couple of years, if your car can be in the window from either practice one or practice two, you've pretty much got the weekend set. Um, we saw last year with Chaz and Lee, uh, Chaz Monster and Lee, Lee Holdsworth, they put the car in the window and practice one and they ended up winning the, winning the 1000. So the practice one, if that car comes out of the box, you know, this combination is going to be right, right there or thereabouts. I've actually got them in the bridesmaid position. Again, there's one combination for me that's better than them. Uh, heading into uh, the 1000 this year. But this is a combination that can absolutely win. It wouldn't surprise me if, if they won. And to, to, to have Waters win wouldn't, wouldn't be a surprise. And I think, I, think it, I think it's due. I think he's due a win. He's due an opportunity to, to claim the 1000 for, for himself. And um, this year is a perfect year to do it for him. James Moffat will be very thankful to get into the nice, fast, reliable Tickford Racing Mustang after another, let's be honest, tough season in the Renault TCR car. (laughs) I'm sorry, but the Renault TCR car is not the car that you want to be driving in that series. 
are you just giving him a jinx saying that it's going to be fast and reliable? <laughs> Let's hope for James Moffat's sake that it is. Absolutely. But yeah, this combination can absolutely be, um, yeah, it is one of the favourites. The bookies have it as uh, the, the, the third or fourth favourite in the, in the field. So yeah, it, there's no surprises with this combination. We know it's going to be there or thereabouts. Uh, the, key, the key for them is just to, to be quick. Um, I know that sounds cliche, but I mean, every year they've, they've more capitalised on other teams' misfortunes to get into second. It hasn't been them with the pace all day to be the number one team. Um, like last year, they would have probably finished third if Van Giesbergen didn't have the tyre tire issue right at the end of the race. They got gifted second really, realistically. And in the previous year, they were quicker. They had times in the lead, but Van Giesbergen was, was too good for them in, in 2020. So just having that extra pace and that little bit of a, that, that tenth or two tenths quicker than the rest of the field will put them in that position to win the race and, and gives them a luxury that if they need to chase throughout the day, like what Mostert and Holdsworth did last year, they can do it. So, yeah, just being that little bit better than what they were to, to the previous two years will probably put them in the, in the, in the good stead. They just need that, that car to be a little bit more quicker in a window. Agreed. So we've talked about a couple of drivers whose seasons have been on a downward trajectory, but one driver who has improved as the season has progressed is behind the wheel of the number eight Brad Jones Racing Commodore, and that's Andre Heimgartner. He's had eight starts at Mount Panorama, four finishes, best result of ninth in 2017 with Tim Slade. He will be joined by Dale Wood, who has 13 starts, 11 finishes, and a best result of fourth in 2017 with Chris Pither. Andre Heimgartner, apart from that shocking crash that he got involved in at Tail and Bend, his season has been one of steady improvement for the Brad Jones racing team. And in the last event at Pukekohe, very impressive. Podium finishes in two out of the three races. So Andre is definitely a driver whose results curve is heading in the right direction, heading to the mountain. And I know that it's a long way out and we resist looking at long-range forecasts for Bathurst because they're often not very accurate, but there is the possibility that we could get some rain during race week, and if that's the case, we know that Heimgarten is good in the wet. Absolutely. If, if it's wet, you can put this combination in as a big contender and there's probably another four or five others that you can put in, in as a big contender and we'll probably get them, to them a little bit later, but this is one that can... Um, that, that will be one to look out for if it does rain. Uh, this this combination has so many question marks for me. I, if if it was a non-Bathurst 1000 event, I would have them inside the top six, maybe even inside the top five, but I don't. And I have them a little bit lower than that. And I think I might surprise you with where I have them. I actually have them in the bottom, uh, in, in, in between 11 and 15. I actually don't think they'll be inside the top 10. The, the two big reasons are... Um, the co-driver, I think Dale Wood, compared to some of the other co-drivers in the field, um, just lacks that 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 pace and that. Well, he's got the experience, but he just lacks that pace to be as, as quick as the other guys when it comes to to battling for spots. And it's quite critical now that you've got a co-driver that can not only overtake but do a certain time. We saw last year with Lee Holdsworth; he was able to do a time that no one else in the field was able to do. It gave uh, it gave Walkinshaw and Andretti United the win. I'm just not sure Wood is at that level to, to put Heimgarner in as one of the contenders. The other issue I have is BJR. BJR at the mountain, it, it, it's they've not done well over the last few years. Granted, last year they did a lot better than what they've previously 
did. Um, Perkat finished sixth uh, before he went to Walkinshaw and Dreading United. Hazelwood finished eighth before he went to Matstone Racing. And then the other finishers finished 12th and 17th. So all four of them finished, which was really, really good. But before that, BJR really struggled at the mountain. So my question mark is, can the team deliver the car that's needed for Andre to be competitive? That's the question mark I have based on previous years. I'm not so sure. So I put them a bit lower than, than what I would usually do for a normal weekend. And that's the only reason why. I'm just not confident BJR can deliver a package that's good enough to be competitive for, for Andre and Dale Wood. If that can happen, absolutely. Top five, top three, maybe even a winner. But it's just that, that hesitation about BJR at the mountain that has me putting them a little bit lower than what I'd usually put them in for a non-Bathurst race. They need to roll out of the truck with the car that's on the pace, don't they? If they find themselves in a situation where the car setup's wrong at the start of the weekend and they're chasing their tail, they're probably not going to get any better throughout the weekend. I think that's my prediction for that car. Car number nine for Erebus Motorsport, Will Brown and Jack Perkins. Will Brown, four starts, three finishes, best result of 15th in 2020 with Dave Reynolds. Jack Perkins, 16 starts, 12 finishes, and a best result of third in 2019 with James Courtney. And Will Brown is one of the great characters, great personalities off track of the Supercars Championship. He's a talented driver. There's no doubt about that. You only need to look at his results in the various junior categories where he did extremely well. He got a race victory in his rookie season last year as a full-time Supercars driver, and it's fair to say, Jonesy, that this season has not reached those same lofty heights for Will Brown. It started right in Sydney, and then it's slowly um, gone away from him. He's been able to recover a little bit in the last two rounds. The bend was an improved performance. He did pretty well at Pukekohe before he had that unfortunate incident uh, with Mark Winterbottom. And then there's um, there was also um, some improved performances at other rounds. I think Sandown, Sandown was another great round for him, refinished inside the top six pretty much in all three races. So he, he's... He's, he's had his ups and downs this season, but when he's been on song, he's been able to do really, really well. Jack Perkins is his co-driver, is a sound co-driver, one of the best few in the, in the in the field. So there's no doubt that this combination is quick and they were on provisional pole last year for the 1,000 before Chaz took pole position. So they were quick as well. And then they had power steering issues, which ruled them out of contention. And I think they eventually either retired or they just limped around for the rest of the afternoon. So power steering issues are going to be critical and it's probably going to be critical for a couple of other combinations as well that we'll get to because that was the biggest issue at the 1,000 last year. A couple of teams really struggled with that. The other big issue for, for Will Brown and Jack Perkins is the car. Car number nine just recently came from Pukekohe, pretty banged up. And there were rumours that this car wasn't even going to run it, the 1,000. Um, I think Barry Ryan said it was dead on, on Saturday afternoon. Um, sorry, Sunday after, Sunday afternoon. Um, but, yeah, they've been able to, to fix the car up, um, much to the credit of Erebus. But my question is, can that car be recreated to deliver what is needed at the, at the mountain? It's a very tight turnaround between Pukekohe and Bathurst. It's very tight for the team to get everything right. And if a gremlin is going to happen or if an issue is going to happen, the Bathurst 1000 will bring it out. So that's my only query with this combination. Is the car going to be good enough after being heavily repaired from Pukekohe to Bathurst to be competitive this weekend. If it is, the team can be inside the top six. I've got them just outside the top six between seven and ten. Um, but this combination can absolutely do really well. 
the question mark and the million dollar question is how is that car going to be after what happened in Pukekohe? Yeah, look, I've got confidence in the repair job. Um, after the massive shunt at uh, Pukekohe, they sent the car to a fabricator by the name of James White, who's based in Mount Gambia in South Australia. And by all reports, he is an absolute gun when it comes to vehicle repairs after those sorts of incidents. So I've got no doubt at all that the car will be back to 100% for Bathurst. The problem that I've got is even at 100%, is the car going to be good enough? We've seen that the Erebus cars have, on the whole, you would have to say, not been as competitive this year as uh, what they were last year. So I'm just not quite sure that they're going to have the pace. The only thing I'll say to that is this is another combination where you can't look at the form at different circuits. This is a this is Erebus at Mountain in the last five years. If you look at their record, it's excellent. They've won Bathurst. They've had another opportunity to win Bathurst last year. Um, both Brown and um, Brody Kostecki were quick. Brody Kostecki ended up on the podium. So I tend yeah, to... Yeah, and Brown, Brown was provisional pole before the exactly. shootout. So, yeah, true. I, I yep. tend to ignore the form throughout the season. Some cars are specific track types. They're, they're good at specific tracks, basically. So for, from, from my end, I sort of ignore a little bit of the form slump in, in Brown at different circuits. And, and the other thing as well is he, he attended some circuits that he's never raced at before and never race at it in a supercar. So it's, it's hard to judge how good it can be when he's not got that experience compared to others. But I expected the 1,000 things will change, and I think they'll be certainly up front. So we'll move on from them to the first of the Grove Racing Mustangs, car number 10, which has one of our reigning Bathurst winners behind the wheel, Lee Holdsworth, who won Bathurst last year with Chaz Mostert. He's had 11 finishes from 18 starts at Mount Panorama. His co-driver has no starts and no finishes. It's another rookie driver in the form of Matt Payne, who has had some really, really strong showings of speed in the Dunlop Super 2 Series this year and Porsche Carrera Cup before that. The concern that I have about Matt Payne is that while he's been fast, he's also sometimes been a bit over-exuberant perhaps and been involved in a number of incidents and uh, at Bathurst obviously you can't afford to have any of those sorts of accidents because if you do and if you end up in the wall your day is going to be done. Absolutely um, the, the, the thing with Matt Payne is it's similar to Brock Feeney last year Brock Feeney to me had a big swing and could do whatever he wanted at the 1000 because he knew that he had a contract for 2022 at, at AAA. Uh, he knew everything was in, locked into place for him to do really well. So he had a free swing at the 1,000. Okay, if he didn't do so well, um, there might have been a bit of criticism. But if he did really well, a lot of people would have gone, oh, well, it's validated him being in the seat. I think a similar similar scenario is here with with Payne. He's got a contract next year for Grove Racing. Um, there's, no, there's nothing riding on this drive for him. He knows that regardless of what he does, he's in that seat next year. So I think it gives him a lot less pressure to deliver and perform uh, this year compared to someone else who is fighting for a spot on the grid for 2023, like a Zane Goddard. So I think in that regard, it helps him huge, hugely. The, the question is, how, how will a rookie go? We've seen in previous years, rookies do really, really well, like Zach Best last year for Tickford. He did really, really well. And then there's others that haven't done so well and have, have had incidents in their first 
climb the mountain. Where Matt Payne will lie, well, that remains to be seen. I'd probably lean towards him doing okay. I think his role won't need him to go berserk and, and do quick times. He just needs to be consistent and give the car back to Lee in one piece. The, the big thing is, can Lee go back-to-back? Can he win back-to-back 1,000s? Um, the signs probably say no. Um, the car hasn't been in any window this year. It's always been the other Grove that's been quicker. Uh, Lee has had one podium at um, the Australian Grand Prix, but that race was chaotic. So he pretty much, it wasn't gifted a, a podium, but he certainly fought his way through a field that, that had their own shares of dramas to get through to, to a podium. And based on after, based after that, he hasn't had that much sort of pace or success to get back there. So I, I have my doubts as to whether he can get back there uh, this year, I just don't think this combination's strong enough in, in a lot of different areas to be um, pretty much not even, in, not even inside the top ten or even inside the top five. I think they're probably in the in the window between fifteen and twenty, and that's where I've got them for for this for this race. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, I, I, it's one of those combinations I've got a I've got a nice question mark over just to see how they go because I think there's genuine intrigue how Matt Payne will go, how Lee will go in pretty much his last full-time drive as a Bathurst 1000 driver. So um, it'd be interesting to see how, how they go, but I'm not I'm not confident they'll do anything better than the top 15. If it rains, though, watch out for this combination as well. I agree with you on the rain. I think that Lee Holdsworth right throughout his career has been very good in the wet, but I do agree that they're probably all throughout the season. Lee's been playing second fiddles to David Reynolds in the other Grove car. Um, I think for him to defend his... Bathurst 1000 title would be a remote possibility, you would have to say. Car number 11 is the first of the DJR Mustangs for Anton Di Pasquale and Tony Dalburjo. Anton Di Pasquale, four starts, two finishes, best result of ninth in 2020 with Brody Kostecki. Tony Dalburjo, 17 starts, 10 finishes, and a best result of third in 2017 with Fabian Coulthard. It's been an interesting season for the Shell V-Power Mustangs, and just comparing the performances of Anton Di Pasquale and Will Davison, they've been, you would have to say, some of the most evenly matched teammates on the grid, and out of all of the teams, probably you would have to say they're the one that, perhaps apart from maybe Triple Eight, has the best chance of having a couple of cars in calculations for a podium or even a race victory. So we've always come to we've come to the mountain the last two years in this position. Triple eight the favourite. Who's going to give them a shake and a run for their money? Everyone always comes back with DJR. DJR the last two years have been competitive. They've been quick, but then in the last forty laps, they are nowhere. They don't do anything. They can't. They're not as competitive as what Walkinshaw were last year. Triple eight were last year, and Tickford were last year. They were pretty much fourth best. So my question is can they finally get past that scenario where the car is quick on Friday, the car is quick on Saturday, but then in the final 40 laps on Sunday, is it quick enough to deliver either for Anton or for Will? That's the question that I have with the, with both combinations. Can the car be in that window when it comes to winning the race? And I'm not sh- not too sure. It, I'm not too sure that the teams are going to be able to do that this year, but DJR have been better this year than they have been in the last two years. They've given more of a fight to Chainbag Gisbergen. I know the, the, the championship says otherwise in terms of the points, but in terms of the race wins and in terms of qualifying, DJR have been right there and they've been unlucky not to win a few more races from their own 
um, from their own half. They've made critical errors, which is also probably not a good thing heading into the 1,000. Um, particularly for Will Davison, two races he's had this year robbed pretty much from him because of issues in pit lane. They can't do that at the 1,000. You cannot have a drive-through and you cannot have issues in pit lane because you just lose too much time and then you're buried in the field and it's very hard to come back from that. So in relation to Anton and Tony, this is a combination that, that can certainly be in the top five, can certainly get a podium, can certainly get a win. The, the key here is can the car be in the window in the last 30 laps to really take it to Triple A, Tickford and Walkinshaw? That's the question mark. I'm not too sure it's going to be there this year, so I have them a little bit lower than, than probably what most people do, but um, I'm happy to be proven wrong. Uh, it's also significant um, too for DJR. This is their 1,000th race in supercars. Um, they are the first team to do it, and they've also got a, a special livery uh, for both cars for this race. So um, look out for that. looks absolutely amazing, even though I'm more of a Holden fan than a Ford fan, but I still have massive respect for what they've done over the last 40 years, and um, it, it looks amazing. Hopefully, um, in that regard, they can deliver a, a really good result for, for not only uh, car 11, but obviously we'll talk about car 17, but for them as well, uh, down the line. So whereabouts do you have them in terms of a, a predicted result? Top five. Top five, yeah. Yep. I, I probably have them either, yeah, just on or just off the podium. So, yeah, yeah, similar to you, I think, in that regard. Uh, car number 14, Brad Jones Racing. Bryce Fullwood, four starts, two finishes, and a best result of fifth last year with Warren Luff. And his co-driver, Dane Fiore, 13 starts for the West Australian at nine finishes, Best result of sixth in 2017 with Michael Caruso and 2020 with Scott Pye. Uh, how do we describe Bryce Fullwood's season? Probably uninspiring yeah. would, be, would be my summary of his season so far. I reckon you could you could probably have multiple meetings this year mentioning Bryce and where he is and not many people would go, oh, he finished this position. Um, yeah, he certainly had a very... Yeah, uninspiring season. He's certainly not made any attention. Uh, he has got a contract for next year at BJR, but I probably think that that next year is, is it for him. He needs to really deliver and needs to start getting some good performances or he will be chasing a, a new contract in 2024, either somewhere else or uh, in, a, in another field, in another um, category, because um, yeah, his performances this year have, have certainly not been probably what BJR want and, and need for, their, for that second driver to Andre. And I mean, given what Andre's been able to do with the team, um, you'd expect Bryce to be a little bit closer to him than where he has been this year. So that's the key for, for Bryce next year is to get closer to Andre and to really fight for those top 10 and potentially top six finishes. In relation to how how they how they're going to go at the, the mountain, um, I, I have them inside the top 20. I don't have them any much further than that. But this is a combination, as you said, Lachlan, They've been uninspiring this year. So based on that, they could easily just roll around all day, do almost nothing, be oblivious, and just somehow get inside the top 10. And we all sit there and go, where did they come from? That can absolutely happen. Um, they did it last year. Bryce Ford and Warren Luff were, were pretty much the stars um, of the show last year. I know Chaz and Lee ended up winning the race, but that combination finishing inside the top five was was mega. It was a great performance from both of them. And there's no there's there's nothing to suggest that Bryce couldn't do a similar thing this year. If he keeps if he keeps the car out of trouble, Dean Fiore is a very, very good co-driver. And we saw at Sandown 
when he was racing in the Super 2 Series, he's still got plenty of talent. He, he was easily matching the drivers that are that are pretty much going to be his rivals as co-drivers in, in this 1000. So there's plenty of talent from his end. Bryce Ford's a very capable steerer if he's got the right car underneath him. If, if every, everything goes right for the package, it could easily be a top 10 finish for these guys because they're... They are ones that can keep out of trouble, but I just don't see it happening. I just think there's too many combinations that are that are far better than them. Yeah, everything else being equal, I put them from probably sixteenth to twentieth. Yeah, and that's where I have them. Yeah, uh, the second of the DJR Mustangs, car number seventeen for the brothers Will and Alex Davison. Will Davison, eighteen starts, fifteen finishes, two wins, two thousand and nine with Garth Tander, and twenty sixteen with Jonathan Webb. Alex Davison, this amazing record where he's finished every one of the 17 Bathurst 1000s that he started for a best result of fourth in 2014 with his brother Will in the Erebus Motorsport Mercedes AMG E63. Well, if nothing else, you will expect those guys to get to the chequered flag just based on Alex Davison's superb finishing record. Now you've jinxed it. Well done. Congratulations. Well, I, I said the same thing last year, and I didn't jinx it then. So I reckon Davo's going for 18 finishes in a row. Sweet sweet 18, as they say. Uh, yeah. Um, it's fascinating that these guys have driven together for a very long time, and there's been no podium finish for, for them. And you, you, you think a couple on a couple of occasions, the cars, the team and the car should have delivered them a podium. So that that's a bit of a concern that they've been together for a while, racing together, and nothing, and they haven't been able to get a, a podium finish yet together. So that's probably a query. But in terms of Will Davison, he is in the form of his life. His his season this year has been outstanding, and he's unlucky not to be second in the championship. As I mentioned uh, previously with Anton, there, there were a couple of races where he got robbed of of wins and robbed of positions because there were pit lane dramas for the team so for starters they can't have that at the 1000 they need to have everything right in terms of that so whatever the issues they've had hopefully they've been able to sort them out because that's going to be needed to be sorted out uh before they get to the 1000 in terms of pace this combination should be there or thereabouts in terms of the driver combo this 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 team should be there or thereabouts and again form well probably apart from waters and van gisbergen davison's been in 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 form and being the informed driver in the, in the field, if you want to if you want a betting tip in terms of uh, top ten shootout, put your money on Will Davison right now. He's been the king of one lap shootouts this year, and he's been the king of qualifying. So if you're going to have a bet, gamble responsibly, of course. But Davison would be a hot tip to to take out pole position. <laughs> yeah, he's of, had he's had nine poles this year, so agreed. In terms of in terms of the race itself, again, it's that forty lap window right at the end. Can the car be in the window? If it can, Davison can win the race. He's done it before. He knows how to win this race. And before this year, the last race win that he did have was at the mountain. He knows how to win again now. That's the key. He knows how to put the car in a winning position, and he knows how to win. So if there's ever a chance that he's going to do it, this year is it. Um, but I have him just outside the top three. I have him four just purely for the fact that I rate three combinations better than them. But you can throw them in a hat. This combination can absolutely win. I have them on my podium, I think, and probably slightly ahead of the De Pasquale and Dalberho combination, in all honesty. I think that Davison's just in slightly better form at the moment. Like you said, in qualifying especially, he's been an outstanding performer 
this year. And, and it's funny because partway through the season, there was a bit of speculation going on in some sections of the media that DJR were looking at replacing Will Davison at the end of this year and perhaps getting a, a younger up-and-coming driver into that seat instead. But the, the form that Davison's been in, I mean, it's a bit hard to sack the driver who's had more pole positions than anybody else. Yeah, well, it, was, it was almost going to happen. There were, there were heavy rumours that Will Brown was going to take his seat and Will Davison was going to be forced to find another one. So I'm kind of glad that DJR came to their senses and gave him another gave him another year year on a deal because he's been outstanding this year and one of the one of the informed drivers of the of the of the series. So yeah, it was a no brainer to give him another year. And um, if he's matching and beating Anton Di Pasquale, then he absolutely deserves another year. We'll move on from them to the two Team 18 Commodores, starting with Car Number 18 for Mark Winterbottom and Michael Caruso. Frosty, 19 starts, 13 finishes, the win in 2013 with Stephen Richards at what was then Ford Performance Racing. Michael Caruso, 16 starts, 13 finishes, and a best result of third in 2009 with Lee Holdsworth for Gary Rogers Motorsport. Frosty currently just outside the top 10 in the championship, sitting in 11th position. And Team 18, the, the story of Bathurst for them in the last couple of years has been power steering issues. Power steering issues and no pace. So last year, this combination finished 16th. And we'll get to Pine, um, his, his co-driver in a second, and they did not finish. Um, yeah, Team 18 at the mountain recently have not been good. Having said that, Winterbottom in the 2021 round that was held up at um, Mount Panorama, he was inside the top six for both races. But apart from that, it's been pretty lean pickings for, for Team 18. Um, yeah, this is another combination that I just... It's its a great combination. They've both got experience. They both know each other really, really well. I mean, they race together at junior level, um, Caruso and Winterbottom, because they're both from the, from the suburbs of Sydney. So, um, yeah there's nothing to suggest that these two can't go on and do really well, but the car is going to be the issue. Can the car be put into the right window for these two to, to deliver on their pace and deliver on their experience? And I have my, I have big doubts about it. Um, there's, there's a few other combinations that I have in front of them. And yeah, I think a top 10 finish would be a fantastic result for them to be really honest. I just don't have them inside the top 10. I have them outside the top 10 between 11 and 15 and, yeah, I think the top 10 finish would be a really good performance from them given where they've been all year. We'll run you through the stats on the next combination. Scott Pye, 10 starts, 6 finishes, best result of 2nd in 2017 and 2018 with Warren Luff. His co-driver, Tyler Everingham, lining up for his second Bathurst 1000 start in his previous start in 2020 with Jaden O'Jada. He finished in 19th position, and I think, Jonesy, that a lot of the comments that you make about Winterbottom and Caruso apply fairly equally to Pye and Everingham. Uh, Everingham, obviously, a lot less experienced compared to Caruso. So in the battle of the co-drivers, you'd have to say that Caruso probably has the upper hand there. And for that reason, I'd probably put the Winterbottom-Caruso combination ahead of the the Pye-Everingham combination in terms of predicted finishing position. And you would be 100% spot on because that's exactly where I have them as well. I have Holdsworth and Caruso just a little bit ahead of Pi and Everingham. If the original combination had have been locked in and loaded, so Golding um, with Pi instead of Everingham, I probably would have had Pi and Golding higher. 
than um, Holt, uh, than Winterbottom and Caruso. But um, just with Everingham being at the mountain for the first time and being inexperienced, I, I just think that puts them a little bit behind the second second time. Second time, my apologies, but yeah. just just his experience compared to Caruso puts the other one uh, in front. The big two issues are power steering. Can can Team Eighteen get get ahead of that and and be competitive and, and actually get to the finish line without having an issue in that regard. Um, recently, it's been good. They've had no power steering issues, touch wood, um, over the last few rounds. So it seems they've been able to solve that issue. And I believe Charlie Schwerkolt said uh, at one stage during this, this season that they've taken the power steering in-house rather than um, having outside factors do it for them. So I, I guess that move has been a beneficial one because so far, so good. Um, whether that continues the mountain, well, it remains to be seen. But the key thing is, um, is also pace. Um, when Pye's been in the window, he's been in the top six, he's been in the top eight, he's been really competitive. But when the car's not been in the window, he's been at the back of the field and he's always ran into trouble. Um, the amount of DNS that he's had this year compared to some of the others has been quite high. And that's been one of the big issues for him this season. He's had DNFs, which have led to some DNSs, did not start to the next race. And that's been one of the big issues for for the team this year, just getting that consistency and getting that top 10 finish. I know in the previous few results, Scott Pye has actually been pretty good. Um, he's been able to get some really good performances and it's actually been able to put him really high in the, in the, in the standings. I mean, the last six races, um, quickly going through them, he finished 7th, 5th, 7th, 10th, 5th and 7th. So at the Sandown and Pukekohe rounds, he didn't finish outside the top 10, which is great performances heading into the mountain. If the car's on pace, Pike can absolutely put it inside the top 10. My biggest issue is that, does he get into that position to challenge in the final few laps of the race, given Everingham's experience, given that Everingham's going to be in the car for a little while? Can Everingham do a really good job to put Pike in a position to finish inside the top 10 and inside the top six? I have my doubts and I have my concerns in relation to that, but... Uh, we've seen how rookies and second-year drivers go in the past. Some have really excelled, so hopefully Everingham can do that. Pike can get into a position to to really capitalise on that and finish inside the top six. But I have them between 16 and 20 uh, in relation to um, my rankings for the race. The reason that Scott Pye's a bit further back in the championship than we'd probably expect him to be is because he's had seven zero points races this year, five DNFs. And then two DNSs, two races that he failed to start. One over in Perth after he had that big crash where he got tangled up with Jackal Rock coming out of the last corner and ended up in the, the pit lane wall. And then another incident up in Darwin as well where he got knocked out of race two and the car was too severely damaged for him to be able to start race three. So I think that's the other thing for Scott Pye. He needs to stay out of the drama at Bathurst and make sure that he doesn't get involved in any crashes. I mean, it's obvious to say, but this season, he's been a bit of a, a magnet for trouble, Scott Pye. Him and James Courtney both have been magnets for trouble. And Bathurst, there can be uh, big incidents and big crashes. And if you, if you are a magnet, sometimes you can get caught up in it. So um, you'd hope for both of those, those drivers that, um, yeah, whatever whatever carnage has followed them in the, in the first three quarters of the season sort of disappears for the last quarter of the season and they can get some good results because both are quality drivers. So if they get the opportunity to put themselves in a position, um, both can capitalise on it.
Moving on to car number 22, which is the first of the Premier Racing entries. Peter Zibris purchasing that team from Techno Auto Sports and Jonathan Webb at the start of the year. And in car number 22, we have Chris Pither, 12 starts, 9 finishes, best result of 4th in 2017 with Dale Wood. And he will be joined by Cameron Hill, who was on debut at Mount Panorama in terms of the Bathurst 1000, but has certainly had very impressive results in, in the junior development categories. He's an Australian Formula Ford champion. He's also an Australian Porsche Carrera Cup champion. Here's a bit of an interesting stat for you, Jonesy. The other drivers who have won, or, or the last driver who won both the Australian Formula Ford Championship and the Porsche Carrera Cup Championship was Steve Richards and uh, David Reynolds also achieves that. Both of those drivers, of course, have gone on to win Bathurst. Yes, yes. But I don't think Cameron's going to be able to get the job done this year in his first year. So we might have to wait for that statistic to come to fruition a little bit later, hopefully in his career. Um, are we going to have a disclaimer here that you're, you're heavily involved with Cameron Hill? Uh, not so much anymore, but yes, from 2017 until pretty much the end of the last year, I, I looked after all of Cameron's media and PR. So yes, he's a driver whose career... I've been heavily involved in, so I've been watching his progress very closely um, at the mountain. So Cameron might not have as much experience compared to some of the other drivers in the 1000, but he is the only driver in this year's field to actually win a Bathurst event um, in terms of an endurance event um, this year because uh, earlier this year in e- over, the Easter long week- over the Easter weekend, he won the six-hour um in a uh, BMW. So, and he was really good that weekend. Uh, his moves and his driving was outstanding. His moves to win the race over Skyline. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Go to YouTube, type in Cameron Hill, six hour pass. It's incredible. Um, so he's got experience at the mountain this year. Obviously a supercar is a little bit different, but I'm really intrigued to see how he goes because he's got plenty of talent. We, we all know that he's going to be in supercars as a full-time driver probably sooner rather than later. I reckon if it's not next year, it's certainly the year after. So I'm really intrigued to see how he goes. I think I think he could be a driver that really um, surprised a, a few people and put in some really good performances, particularly in the co-driver session. So um, I'm really intrigued to see how he goes. I think this combination's one of those ones that will be real, really honest. They'll, they'll give it their all and... You won't see many mistakes from from both of them. Chris Pither hardly makes a mistake. He hasn't had a DNF all season. Um, He's one of only a handful to do so. So you you know what you get with Chris. You know what you're going to get with Cameron Hill in terms of his pace. And yes, his experience isn't there, but he's certainly going to be talented enough to probably overcome that in in his own way. So um, the biggest issue is the car pace. Um, Premier Racing, particularly with this car, hasn't, hasn't been inside the top 10 all year. They've struggled to get top 10 results. So I don't expect them to get a top 10. If they do, it's a fantastic achievement. That's that's what their goal will be. And um, if they can do that, then all kudos to them and, and it will tick all their boxes. Um, I have them just outside the top 20, between 21 and 25. But if they keep their, their heads out of trouble, they, they, they keep out of the carnage uh, and around, around them everyone else has incidents, well, they can easily finish inside the top 15. Last year, Gary Jacobson... Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the Team Sydney component, finish inside the top 15. So there's no doubt that this combination could do the same if they keep themselves out of trouble for the race. 
I agree pretty much with all of that. I, I think probably the the thing with this combination, Chris Pitha, if you look at his race results, he has been outperformed by James Golding, which is not a great sign when you consider that James Golding only got into the other premier racing car from Townsville onwards after the previous driver, Gary Jacobson, was exited from the team. So Pitha really needs to lift his game if he wants to stay on the grid full-time next year, you would have to say. We'll get on to the other Premier Racing cars soon, and I'll give you my thoughts on which of the two cars I think will finish higher. But before we get to that one, a couple of other cars to get through, including car number 25, which happens to be the car that won the race last year, the Walkinshaw Andretti United Commodore with Chaz Mostert, who has eight starts, eight finishes, two wins, 2014 with Paul Morris, and last year, of course, with Lee Holdsworth. With Holdsworth returning to the grid full-time this season, it means that Fabian Coulthard will be Chaz's co-driver this year, and Fabs has 18 starts, 13 finishes, and a best result of third in 2017, driving with Tony D'Alberto. Last year, they rolled this car out of the truck. They were quick from the get-go. They nailed the setup. Mostert, of course, was super quick. Lee Holdsworth, as the co-driver, was outstanding, quicker than most of the, the full-time main game drivers. Can they repeat the performance this year? Uh, it's the million, $1 million question, isn't it? Can, can this car be the same car as last year? Um, as I said before in, in, in the podcast, when the when when the first practice session was on, these guys were on it straight away, and that didn't change throughout the whole weekend. They were pretty much quickest from practice one through to qualifying through the race, and then when the race came um, came, they had a they had a jet. Um, at one point, they were a, they were a pit stop behind the rest of the field, but with their pace, they were able to catch right back up to the lead, take the lead, and then gap the field again. That was how strong they were. They were incredible last year. But you just, as as Fabian Coulthard actually said in, in, in the coverage before uh, for the event, that was a once-off scenario. You, you sometimes will get that weekend where everything falls into place, everything's perfect, you can come out of trouble, you can go on and win, and everything's perfect. We know that the mountain doesn't deliver that twice in a row, and if it does, you take the advantage and you take it with, you take the, you take it with both hands and you take the advantage because... It's very rare that it happens twice in a row where you get utter perfection. Um, this is the car that obviously won the 1000 last year. This is the exact car. They haven't changed the car from 2021 to 2022. Some some teams do, but given we're in Gen 3 next year, there's really no need to change the car given that it's going to be one more year and that's it. So this is the car. So you'd think it's pretty easy. You just slap in the same setup as last year and away you go and... and off and win but we all know it's not as simple as that the conditions at Bathurst can change from year to year other teams will obviously step up and know what they need to do to to rectify what happened last year so this combination can absolutely win the race Um, and Chaz in the last four years um, has finished first obviously last year third 15th but that was the 15th with the incident with Cameron Waters and before then those two were battling for the lead and then the previous year was fourth. So Chaz at the mountain in the last four or five years has got the car in the window, has got everything in the window to deliver a performance that can win in the race. So there is no doubt that him and Adam Debore know how to get the car in the window and know how to get everything 
going their way to potentially win. So there's no doubt that this combination can win Bathurst. Fabian Coulthard's a very handy acquisition after Lee Holdsworth left. And you'd argue that on merit, sometimes Coulthard is probably better than Holdsworth in some factors in terms of his driving and in terms of his results, particularly the last three years. If you compare Coulthard's three years at DJR compared to what Holdsworth was delivering, Coulthard beat him comfortably. So if you're gonna if you're gonna sort of match compare the pair, you'd argue that Coulthard may be a, may be an improvement on Holdsworth. Don't disrespect to Holdsworth, given that he did such a good performance last year. But Coulthard is not is not a driver that is not a poor driver. He's a very good driver that can absolutely do the job and hand lost the back-to-back Bathurst 1000s. The biggest issue that I have is that everything went to perfection for them last year. We know what the mountain can do. We know we know it's very hard to do it two years in a row. And I said this last year when Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander um, came to the mountain as defending champions. The pressure of being a defending champion is there. It, it's there. It will be talked about all weekend. Chaz will be talked about. And I guarantee you, if... In practice one, practice two, or practice three, if that car's a mile away, the first question will be, what's what's happening with the car this year compared to last year? And the pressure will be on. So it's a different kind of situation for them this year. Nothing Last year, there was nothing. There was no pressure on them. They, they had a free swing at it, and everything went their way. This year, there's pressure on them. There's pressure on them to perform, to deliver, to be defending champions. And I'm not sure whether this team can handle that pressure if it, if it gets put on them. At a, at a heavy um, scenario this uh, this this coming um, this coming 1,000. So I have them just outside the top five. I, I think there's five combinations better than them. But again, the top six combinations for me, you can probably put them all in a hat, pick one out, and that could be a winner. Um, this combination can win, but I just think there's other combinations that are a little bit better. One driver who knows all about the weight of expectation of being the defending winner is behind the wheel of car number 26, the second of the Kelly, uh, sorry, not Kelly Grove, just Grove Racing Mustangs. David Reynolds, 13 starts, 12 finishes, best result of first in 2017 with Luke Yulden. And his co-driver is Porsche factory racer Matt Campbell, most famous here in Australia for winning the Bathurst 12-hour in 2019. But in the Bathurst 1000, he's had three starts, and one finisher that was fifth in 2017 with Shane Van Gisbergen. David Reynolds, winner in 2017, came back in 2018 with Luke Yulden. They had the fastest car. They led more laps than everybody else. David Reynolds got fatigued, started cramping up in the final stint, ultimately cost him and Luke Yulden the chance to win the race and defend their crown. So speaking about that weight of expectation that will be on Chas Moston and the Walkinshaw Andretti United team, that's the kind of thing that can happen. Absolutely. That's that, that, and that's what happened to, to David in uh, 2018 when he just, yeah, couldn't, couldn't get the job done and fatigued right when, we did, when you didn't need to fatigue. Uh, there's two issues I have with this, with this combination. The first is, is Grove Racing and previous to that, Kelly Grove Racing. Their record at the mountain was quite awful, to be brutally honest. It's not where that team wanted to be or should be. They should be much higher um, than where they were in previous years. And I remember last year, I think we had the similar argument where it was Heimgartner and Reynolds and I think you're arguing that they should be inside the top 10 and I argue that they shouldn't be inside the top 10 because their form's just not good enough. A couple of weeks later, it got validated. Their form wasn't good enough and they finished outside the top 10. 
So the biggest issue is, can they deliver a car that gives Reynolds an opportunity to win Bathurst? Because this combination is really good. David Reynolds is very experienced with the mounts and he knows what it takes to win. And then you've got Matt Campbell, who is a gun at Bathurst. He's won the 12-hour. He knows what to do here. And last year with him and Heimgartner, the combination had, had done everything right to be inside the top 10, but the car wasn't good enough to get them there. So if the car's good enough, this combination can easily be inside the top 10 and easily push for a top six, maybe even a podium. If it's wet, get on this combination because this combination can absolutely deliver in the wet. But in the dry, uh, the query is grow the query is on the team to deliver a good car and there's been multiple times this year where Reynolds has said that the engine's not at its optimal power of what it needs to be and we know at Bathurst you need power you need power at the at the front you need um, power up the up the mountain at the start of the lap and you need power down Conrad straight at the end of the lap so if you don't have power you're going to struggle all day so I have real queries as to as to this combination being able to deliver on the potential um, so I have them outside the top 10. I'm between 11 and 15. But if the car is in the window, watch out. Could I just say that I really like the fact that Grove Racing have decided to bring Matt Campbell out to Australia. Of course, these days he's based over in Europe and he's driving at the very top level of international motorsport for one of the most prestigious sports car manufacturers, if not the most prestigious sports car manufacturer in the world. He's an Australian driver who is representing our country on the world stage and doing an outstanding job. And one of the, I suppose, the, the slightly unfortunate things about when they changed the rules back in 2010 so that teams were no longer allowed to pair their two primary drivers together, we stopped seeing a lot of teams bringing international drivers to Australia for the endurance races because back when you could pair your two primary drivers together, you could afford to take a bit of a risk with your second car. And that was why we had people like Yvonne Muller and Jason Plato and Andy Prio and James Thompson and your own and coming out and racing at Bathurst. You don't see so much of that anymore. So it's really good that Grove Racing have brought an international driver. Yes, he is Australian, but for all intents and purposes, he is an international driver. So it's great to see that he's been given the opportunity. 100%. And there was rumours that El Bamba and Alex Premer were also in contention to come to Australia and drive for, for different teams as well. And Alex is a former Bathurst 1000 winner and El Bamba is a very uh, credentialed driver, particularly in the, in the Porsche ranks. So um, it's great to see overseas. Well, Matt Campbell's not an overseas talent. He's, he's Australian born and bred, but he's obviously doing his, his work overseas. But it's nice to see that we can get some overseas talent here because we do have an audience overseas that do watch this race. Um, obviously, it, it's a race that stops Australia for, for a certain part of, part of the day. But there are a lot of fans around the world that do tune in. It, it is like the, the Le Mans 24-hour, the Monaco Grand Prix, the, the Daytona 500. It does have that core following of people who will either get up at ridiculous hours to watch it or watch it in prime time if they get the opportunity to do so. So the more we can tap into that market and bring international drivers down here and, and give them an opportunity, um, the better. Moving on to car number 31 for Premier Racing, the second of the, the Premier Racing Commodores for James Golding and Dylan O'Keefe. James Golding, six starts, four finishes, best results of eighth in 2018 with Richard Musket and 2020 with Mark Wismodem. 
Dylan O'Keefe, two starts, two finishes, best result of all eleventh in 2020 with Andre Heimgartner. Um, in the interest of full disclosure and transparency, Dylan O'Keefe is one of the drivers who I still represent with media and PR stuff. He's obviously been racing this year in both Porsche Carrera Cup and TCR Australia. James Golding, we've seen he's been racing in the S5000 series, but got the call up to replace Gary Jacobson and has been driving full-time for Premier Racing since Townsville. I actually rate this combination slightly higher, I think, than the other Premier Racing car, and that's more down to the performance of Golding. I just feel like he has had a bit of an advantage over Chris Pitha in recent rounds. I was going to say, you may as well continue and give me the pros and cons of this combination, give me, you know, uh, Dylan really well. I think that James Golding, New Zealand, he, he actually, there were a couple of races in New Zealand where he was quite quick. And also at Taylor Bend in the wet, I thought he did a, did a particularly good job there. So James Golding definitely has the talent. He's doing everything that he can to, to demonstrate that he deserves to be in that car on a full-time basis in 2023 and beyond. And Dylan O'Keefe, he's already had two starts on the mountain. He's a solid and, and safe pair of hands who will do the job that a co-driver is required to do and will bring the car home in one piece. I think there's a, if there's a combination that can pull a surprise or two and get into a top 10 shootout and go, hang on, where did that come from? This is the combination that can certainly do it. I think Golding in qualifying, particularly the last couple of rounds, has certainly pulled out those surprise results. Not really a surprise anymore when you do it three or four times, but certainly in, in the infancy, he certainly pulled a surprise or two. But he did it at Sandown. He's done it at Pukekohe as well. There's no there's no doubt that he could probably do it at the 1,000 as well. And this team um, is starting to traject the right way. It's starting to go up and it's starting to get the results that Peter Zibris is definitely wanting because he's investing a lot of money into this team. So it's starting to get into the right spots. And you never know with what Gen 3 could provide. It's, an, it's a level playing field if you're... If you can hit the right window, um, we could really see Premier taking another step next year, depending on whoever they get. Uh, I know Golding is heavily linked to, to stay at the team, but there's rumours that Pitha might be out and someone else might be in. So if that happens, then um, who knows where they could go in 2023. But focusing on the 1,000, it's going to be intriguing to see how this combination goes. I, I agree with you. I think they're a little bit higher than what Pitha and, and Hill can bring to the table. I've got them inside the top 20, um, but... There's there's no doubt that this this combination, if they keep out of trouble, Dylan's done it before. He's he's been able to keep himself out of trouble, um, hand, hand the the car back to the co-driver in one piece, and been able to deliver really good results. He finished eleventh with Andre uh, in twenty twenty, and Golding's finished inside the top ten. So a top ten finish could certainly happen. Um, there's just too many combinations for me that are that are ahead of him. But we all know what Bathurst can do. We all know that Bathurst can throw out. Uh, a few um, weird, not weird results, but a few surprising results, and this can certainly be one of them. I know that James Golding and, and Dylan O'Keefe are certainly aiming for a top 10 in terms of where I expect them to finish, probably a little bit higher than you, not that I'm biased or anything, but I, I think top 15 is, is very realistic and very achievable for them. Biased. <laughs> not at all. Uh, Matt Stone Racing, two cars. In car number 34, Jack LeBrock with six starts, five finishes, and a best result of fourth in 2016 with Cameron Waters. And he will be joined by Aaron Seaton, the son of Glenn Seaton. And Aaron Seaton is on debut at the mountain. And 
no doubt he will be hoping that he has a bit more luck than what his dad had at Mount Panorama because his father, Glenn, arguably the best driver to have never won the Bathurst 1000. 100%. And he's only one of a handful of third-generation drivers to to start at the mountain as well. So um, Glenn's father was also a um, 1000 driver and I think he won And winner, well. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Barry, Barry Seaton or Bo Seaton as he was known. Indeed, he was back in the 1960s. But, <laughs> but statistics and superstitions aside, I can't say that my expectations for this car are particularly high. Shane, I don't have them in my top 20. Well, I'll run you through the last seven races for Jack LeBrock. Retirement, 19th, 25th. Retirement, 23rd. Retirement, 21st. So the form of Matt Stone Racing has completely gone out of the window in the last two and a half rounds. And when we get to Todd Hazelwood in just a second, it's a very, very similar scenario and a very uh, dis- disappointing one, to be really honest, for the team. that They would want so much better than that. But uh, this, this, I don't know where Matt Stone Racing's form has gone in the last three rounds, but it's disappeared completely. I mean, Todd Hazelwood was running in the top 10 at stages this year, um, at one stage, he was inside the top 10 and beating all four BJR cars. And now he's not even beating, I think, one or two of them. So it, it's been a complete form reversal for, for Matt Stone Racing. And um, their form, yeah, has them, for me, um, yeah, really low down. I have them in the bottom four. Um, this is for LeBrock. I have them in, in the bottom four. And, and their form has just been nowhere. So I have real doubts as to whether they can... Um, they can perform and, and do really well at the mountain. And we've seen in previous years with Matt Stone Racing, um, they've had plenty of issues. Um, there was one year where they had an engine issue and I think in that, another year they had a power steering issue. So they've struggled to actually finish the race. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if the same fate, unfortunately, comes to the, to, the, to, the, to the 34 and potentially 35 cars we'll get to in a sec. But these, these guys need to turn around their form quickly. And if, if they don't, um, it could be a very tough 1,000 for him. But I think you could probably say the same thing for car number 35 with Todd Hazelwood, who's had five starts, three finishes, and a best result of eighth last year with Dean Fiore. And Jaden O'Jada, who's had two starts, one finish, which was 19th in 2020 with Tyler Everingham. And certainly O'Jada hasn't really covered himself in glory in his Bathurst 1,000 appearances and when we look at Todd Hazelwood's form uh, last five races 24th 24th 15th 20th and 23rd so again it, it makes pretty bleak rating doesn't it heading to the 1000 yeah it, it's the same scenario as as Jack LaRock and and um and uh and Aaron Seaton it, it, it their form has just been nowhere and it and it's really sad because this team was doing really well at the start of the season they they had top 10 finishes uh, LeBrock at one stage, I think, qualified in the top three, maybe at a, a Simmons Plains round. So on the front row, on the front row, there you go. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just disappointing where the team's gone um, in the in the second half of the season. But no one is going to expect them to do anything. Um, there's no pressure on them. There's nothing on them to do it. There's nothing on them to to perform. Um, so. It could, it could give them uh, a confidence boost and the 1,000 can do weird and strange things. You could get the, the car out of the, uh, out of the garage and it suddenly be really quick and suddenly you, you, your fortunes can turn around. So um, 
the 1000 provides an opportunity if you've had a terrible year if you've had a, a an inconsistent year and you get a good performance at the 1000 and the top 10 finish well it can save some face so um hopefully for 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 todd and and for um for jade nojada they can potentially do that and same for, for jack lebrock and, and aaron seaton hopefully um, the car can be in the window. They can do some really good things on the day and potentially finish inside the top 10, but the form suggests otherwise. And um, I've got Hazelwood in the bottom four, similar to, to, to Jack LeBrock, unfortunately, which is really a really big shame because both of, both of the drivers are good enough to finish inside the top 15 on their day. Um, Jack finished, I think, inside the top 12 last year and Todd finished inside the top 10. So the talent's there for both drivers. They just need the car to do it. Which of those two cars do you think will finish higher up? I've got Jack LeBrock higher just purely for the fact of Jano Jada for me and his inexperience and his and his mistakes at the mountain in previous years. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have the other combination ahead of 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 Todd even Hazel. though Aaron, even though Aaron Stevens making his debut, but he hardly makes mistakes. He, he if you look at his form, he hardly makes mistakes. He get, he brings the car back in one piece. So um, and that's nothing on Jaden. Jaden's the pace, so he uses his pace to, to claim his advantage. But the problem is that that pace can sometimes, um, the, one of the downfalls with the with the pace is sometimes he pushes too hard and makes mistakes. So um, Jaden's got to balance that. He's got to have the pace and then balance it out to to not make mistakes, which is what every every driver wants to do. But um, I think I think for Jaden, he needs to make sure that he does that. And if he can does if he can do that and hand the car back to Todd and and they're in a good position. Well, who knows what could happen? But oh, look, it, it's a coin toss, to be brutally honest. Um, I've got LeBrock ahead of Hazelwood, but it could easily be Hazelwood ahead of LeBrock when the when the final standings are up. Well, let's get to the first of our wild card entries. Car number 51, the famous 51, makes its return to Mount Panorama with Greg Murphy making his first Bathurst 1000 start since 2014 in the Boost Mobile Racing wild card Commodore, which will be run by the Erebus Motorsport squad. Murph has 22 starts, 15 finishes, and four wins. 1996 with Craig Lowndes, 1999 with Stephen Richards, 2003 and 04 with Rick Kelly. Richie Stanaway joining him in the car. Four starts for Richie Stanaway. Best result of 12th in 2016 and 2019 with Chris Pipper. There were some major concerns at Pukekohe that this wild card wouldn't even get off the ground if the spare chassis had to be used by Will Brown and Jack Perkins, but the team have pulled out all stops. They've managed to get Brown and Perkins' car repaired, which means Murph and Stanaway will be on the grid. How do we think they're going to go? Well, the first question I have is, is this going to be the last Bathurst 1000 that we see, obviously, of Greg Murphy? The answer is probably yes. But in terms of Richie, is this Richie's final chance of racing at the 1,000? I mean, I think the, 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 there's two key factors to this wildcard. The first one is obviously Greg Murphy and him getting a farewell Bathurst 1,000 and the chance to say goodbye, racing in a Holden in the last ever Holden race. It, it's, all, it's all a really nice synergy and a, and a really nice way for, for Greg to have an opportunity to race. But the other, the other factor to the wildcard is Richie Stanaway. Is this the... Is this the race that ignites his passion to race again? And is this the race that potentially ignites another team to go, you know what, there is talent in this kid. He's good enough to be on the grid. Do we give him another crack? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure a team's going to be there to give him a crack. But if he delivers and performs well, and from all reports and from all 
accounts during testing. He's got that hunger back. He's he's been he's been really um, attentive and been really um, focused on doing a good job. Whereas in previous years there wasn't that 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 attentiveness and focus, and it obviously caught him out at the Gold Coast a couple of years ago for for Gary Rogers Motorsport. But can he? There's no doubt there's talent there. I mean, you don't go overseas and you don't win races and you don't be competitive if you don't have talent. Um, there's clear, it's clear he's got talent. He's, he's also a, a winner in, in supercars in the Sandown 500 as well. So he's clearly got talent. He clearly knows how to drive a car. It's whether we can, you can get that potential out into the open and he can deliver on, on that potential and, and provide some good results. Um, so that's my fascination with it. Can, can Richie ignite his passion? Can he, can he get something out of it and potentially come back? The, the two key things for this combination is it's, it's an Erebus car. We've already discussed how good Erebus are at the mountain. So if they can get that in the window, this combination can do really well in terms of the car being at what they want. The biggest issue is Greg hasn't competed at the 1000 in eight years and Richie hasn't competed there in a couple of years. And they haven't had the match fitness compared to the other teams to go and race in a 1000. Yes, Greg's um, gone above and beyond with his fitness and his training to get there, but being in a car is completely different to, to, to doing the fitness requirements. So I have real concerns of their um, focus and their energy levels and their fatigue levels um, heading into the 1000 kilometers. But if, if, they can, if, they can, if they can get the car in the window and they can just do their job properly, and they know what to do. Both of them are handy drivers. There's no doubt that there's a top 15 finish waiting for them at the end of the race. I don't have them in the top 15. I have them just outside the top 20. But, um, yeah, this combination could surprise one or two one or two people and do really, really well. Um, but it, it's going to be a big effort for both of them to get to the, one, to the 161 laps in terms of fitness and, and, and not being fatigued. That could be the issue that may rule them out of the race later on a mistake or two from one of them could could be the end of them so that's the key can they be can they be fit enough to get to the 161 and can they be quick enough to potentially deliver that top 15 result yeah look i think greg murphy when you you listen to all of the pre-race interviews that he's done i think his personal expectations for himself are quite modest i, I think he's being very realistic and i think that's a sensible attitude he's coming into the race with the the mentality of bringing the car home in one piece. I think that Richie Stanaway will definitely be the driver who will be doing the, the bulk of the laps. So I think Murph has the, the right mental approach. Um, put it this way, I don't think we're going to be seeing any laps of the gods from Murph this year, uh, 19 years after he, he set the, the famous lap of the gods in the top 10 shootout in 2003. I don't think we're going to be seeing any of those sorts of performances from Greg Murphy this time around. But like you, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Richie Stanaway dials himself back in. And if he's fast and if he demonstrates that he's still got the talent, then it could be his avenue towards getting himself back into racing, whether it's in supercars, whether it's in something else on a more full-time basis. So I, I just, I feel like the time away from the sport, it, it might've done Richie a bit of good. I, I feel like he's got the hunger back and just his overall attitude seems a lot more positive and enthusiastic than, it, than perhaps it was before. And just to give you an example of that, last year, of course, this was supposed to happen, but it didn't because of COVID and border restrictions. 
Richie Stanaway was doing everything that he could to prepare himself, including he raced in the virtual Bathurst 1000, which I actually commentated uh, alongside Shane Van Gisbergen, just to get his mental preparation on point and to make sure that he could concentrate for an extended length of time, which um, he and, and Shane did, and they actually ended up finishing on the podium in the virtual Bathurst 1000 last year. And, and so... It's those sorts of things that do indicate that Richie Stanaway is taking this seriously and he does want to put his best foot forward. So, again, I don't think in terms of calculations for an outright result, I don't think they're going to threaten the front runners, but it's still going to be interesting to see how they go. And I think if we see some good individual performances for, for Richie, it could be the, the springboard to catapult him back into a full-time drive somewhere. Um Let's move on. Car number 55, the third of the ticks of racing Mustangs with Thomas Randall, who's had three starts and three finishes at Bathurst with the best result of seventh last year with James Courtney. As you mentioned earlier, Shane, good job to recover from an early setback to get back on the lead lap and back up into the top 10. And then Zach Best, uh, just the one start last year. Did a good job, it has to be said as well, but he and his teammate Jack LeBrock got delayed with some double stacking and ultimately finished down in 15th position. So in, in every Bathurst, there's a there's a combination that you circle and go, this is a dark horse. For me, this is the dark horse. Now, now full disclaimer, I've got them just outside the top 15. I've got them 16 to 20. But in terms of the 1,000... You need three things. You need a car that's quick. You need two drivers that are very close to each other on times. So you can um, you can have better strategy scenarios with one driver or another driver or both drivers or whatever. And the third one is you need you need basically two drivers that are that are experienced enough to potentially go on and do different things. Randall and Best don't tick that box, but Zach Best was quick last year with Jack LeBrock. He was on provisional, well, he was on pole position for the for the Bend race earlier this year. He was quick, and he's a talented driver who's more than likely going to get the the um, the, the uh, full time drive next year in, in supercars. Randall um, has had a very much improved second half of the season compared to his first half of the season. He's finally starting to find the form that that got him a full time gig. My big scenario here is that um, both drivers are very close together on times, which means that when it comes to strategy, Tickford have a luxury where they can put Randall in the car for a prolonged period of time or they can put Best in the car for a long period of time. So if different things happen throughout, throughout the day, they are not going to have a disadvantage of having their potentially worst driver out of the two in the car compared to their best driver. Both drivers will be pretty much even on times. So it gives them the luxury that they can throw one driver in at one stage, one driver in another stage, or if they need to switch and switch and do a different strategy, they've got the option to do that. The other thing as well is Tickford's been quick the last few years at the mountain with um, Courtney and with Waters. So for me, this combination can pull a surprise or two. Don't be surprised if they get into the top 10 and don't be surprised if they end up sneaking into a top six out of nowhere. This is a combination to watch out for. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you on that. And I think the, the strategic flexibility argument that you make about having drivers that are evenly matched, don't underestimate the value of that. We saw it with Lee Holdsworth and Chaz Mostert last year. 
managing the co-driver stints. If you've got a co-driver who's considerably slower than your primary driver, you have to minimise their time in the car. And that means that you don't really have a lot of strategic flexibility. Whereas if you've got a co-driver who's quick and you can leave them in the car for an extra stint if necessary, a bit like what Walkinshaw did with Lee Holdsworth last year, it opens up your options. And it also means that your primary driver might not have to stay in the car quite as long at the end of the race, which means that they are fresher for that final sprint to the chequered flag. So you're right, that could definitely be an advantage for Thomas Randall and Zach Best. And I certainly expect them to perform a lot better than the final car in the Tickford Stable car number 56, Jake Kostecki and Kurt Kostecki, the brothers teaming up. Jake Kostecki, three starts, just the one finish, which was 13th last year with Kurt Kostecki in a Matt Stone Racing Commodore, Kurt Kostecki, two starts and just that one finish, 13th with his brother last year. And it has been a pretty tough season for, for Jake Kostecki, who is currently 22nd in the championship. Absolutely, and he's probably one of those drivers that is, that is looking behind him going, am I keeping my drive for 2023? I think he is contracted, but um, unfortunately with Tickford, they've got, four, they've got five drivers that, have, that, that go into four spots and four, uh, five into four doesn't uh, mix and you can't, you can't put five into four cars. You have to get rid of one of them. So um, whether that's Zach or whether one of the other four drivers goes, but you don't think it's going to be Cameron Waters or um, Thomas Randall, um, it might be Courtney or Kostecki, but um, it, it's another combination with some continuity from the previous year. Obviously, the two, the two, um, they're brothers, aren't they? Yes, the two brothers um, drove th- together last year and did pretty well. Uh, almost finished inside the top ten, and, and to me, this combination is almost identical to the Randall and Best combination. Another two drivers that are pretty close to each other in terms of pace, but I would argue that Randall and Best's pace is better than the Kostecki's pace, yes. which means that they are going to be better in terms of strategy than what the other ones is. You can have two drivers who are relatively close to each other, but if that pace isn't good enough, well, that makes it a bit more difficult to, to use the strategy to get to the top. But um, they'll have the same luxury as um, Randall and Best. You can put one driver in at one stage and not be worried that the other driver is going to be slower or faster or or pretty much um, too far behind. They're both going to be pretty much on the same pace. So, um, yeah, I, I can't see this combination um, finishing inside the top 10. I've got them just outside the top 20, um, but they finished 13th last year. There's nothing to suggest that they can't do that again if um, things go their way. All right. First of the triple eight Commodores for the Red Bull Airpole racing team, car number 88. Brock Feeney having his first full season as the main game driver and doing a very good job. And he will be joined by Jamie Winkup, who has been relegated to the role of endurance co-driver this year. Brock Feeney, two starts, one finish, 10th in 2020 with James Courtney. Jamie Winkup, 20 starts, 18 finishes, best result. Uh, First, 2006, 07 and 08 with Craig Lowndes and 2012, with Paul Dumbrell. Given how impressive Feeney has been throughout this season, how consistent he's been, the fact that he's always been somewhere among the lead pack, and the fact that you would expect Jamie Wincup to be one of the very best co-drivers in the field, this car is definitely a contender. 100%. And 
if you've already listened to the podcast and probably jotted down my other rankings for the other combinations of Mostert, Di Pasquale and Davison, and I haven't got them on the podium and you're wondering, well, where is the other drivers going to come from that are going to make up the podium? Well, this is one of them. Um, to me, this is a combination that is primed to do really well. If you look at if you look at last year in terms of, so Win Cup was with Lowndes, and I'd argue that with all due respect to Craig Lowndes, there's nothing, he's been a fantastic driver, but at some point in, in your career, you do hit the, the wall and, and you, you don't have the form as what you did previously. Well, if you look at this combination, it's exactly the same combination as last year. So if you look at this combination from last year, which was Wink Cup and Lowndes, I'd argue that Feeney is, an, is a little bit of an upgrade on Lowndes from 2021. And I rated that combination highly last year. So to me, this combination is better than what it was last year. And it's a bit harsh to say that Wink Cup was relegated. He chose to retire at the end of um, 2021. So he hasn't relegated himself. He's just given himself an opportunity to be a co-driver. But... Um, when, when they did the practice session at Sandown and um, all the co-drivers got, got the chance to have a go at the car, who was number one? It was Jamie Winkup. And we've seen that drivers that come out one year after they've been a full-time driver have been really, really quick. Lee Holdsworth was the case last year and previous years in the previous year it was Will Davison. Jamie Winkup comes into that category. Now, if you look at the form... Will Davison finished second in 2020 with Cameron Waters and Lee Holdsworth in 2021 finished first with Chas Mostert. Jamie Winkup is the class of the field in 2022 out of those drivers who have come out of full-time driving in 2021. He is, to me, the number one co-driver in this field. You combine that with the youthful experience of Feeney, who had a really fantastic Bathurst 1000 last year and absolutely he should have finished inside the top 10 with Russell Ingle. And we know, we all know that the fact that Ingle wasn't able to give him the best performance, it wasn't able to give him the ideal position to be in because Ingle was just not able to be up to um, a quick enough standard given he's been out of the car for such a long time and obviously his age and everything else in between. There's nothing on Ingle as a, as a person and, and his talent. It was great 15 years ago. But it was harder last year to get the results. This year's completely different. You've got a top quality driver and wing cup. So to me, this combination is ticking all the boxes that are required to be there or thereabouts. The biggest two issues for the combination is one, number 97, Shane Van Gisbert and Garth Tander are double stacking. How much of an impact will that be on this combination? But we've seen before that AAA have still been able to get both cars on the podium. Even though they've been, been, been even though there's been double stacking issues, and the second one is what Brock Feeney's going to do in the last twenty laps. Can he? He's he's shown this year that he's got maturity beyond his years, and we've shown he's shown that he's been able to deliver podiums in in, in um, Sandown, and he's done it at Simmons Plains, done it at other venues as well. So the key is, can he deliver in, on the final twenty laps when there's pressure on him? There's million. Um, television viewers watching the, the coverage and everyone is is watching what he does. That's going to be the key. But I still think that they'll get through those hurdles and challenges, no dramas. And in relation to the double stacking, if the same, same scenario last year happens this year where the co-drivers start first, 
if Winkup's the number one co-driver and he gets a good position, he could easily be leading after the first stint, much like he, when he did what he did in 2014 when he went from last to basically first. And he could easily lead the, the race, hand it to Brock Feeney. Brock Feeney's got the advantage and Shane Van Giersberg and Agar Tander are in the position of double stacking for the rest of the afternoon. So that first 30 laps, if the co-drivers start, is going to be pivotal for, for Triple Eight Racing. Because if Shane Van Giersbergen and Garth Tander fall behind Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup, then suddenly that combination will be in double-stacking trouble for the rest of the afternoon. And Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup will be in prime position to potentially win the Bathurst 1000. So to me, this combination, six all the boxes. I have them in the top three and I have them as one of the favourites, the heavy favourites to win this race. Mm, there we go. Shane Jones putting it out there. Uh, we will get to car number 97 momentarily. Before we do, we'll get to car number 96, which is Macaulay Jones and Jordan Boys in the Brad Jones Racing Commodore. Macaulay Jones has seven previous starts in the Bathurst 1000, six finishes. Best result of seventh in 2018 with Nick Perkett. Jordan Boys, just the one start, didn't finish the race. And Macaulay Jones... A bit like Bryce Fullwood has had a, a rather uninspiring season, you would have to say. Yeah, another tough year for, for McCauley. And, um, yeah, just, just not being able to take that. He, he's good enough to get top top 15, top 12 finishes, but just not being able to take that next step to get top 10 and top 6 finishes. And that's really what's lacking in his career so far. He just hasn't taken that next step to be a, 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 a campaign a campaigner in the in the top ten and the top six. So well, when you look at his championship results in the Supercars Championship, Shane. So since he became a full time driver in the championship in 2019, uh, he was 21st in 2019 in the championship, 19th in 2020, 23rd in 2021, and currently sitting 19th in this year's championship. So there hasn't really been any trajectory of improvement has there no and when you've had four different drivers come in um during that period of time in terms of uh bryce forward andre heimgartner nick perkat and todd hazelwood and all four of them have beaten him in the championship in those years yeah it it, it makes it tough to to um to try and convince everyone else to to keep you in a in a, in a job and keep you in a gig for for, for the for the foreseeable future, he he really needs to start performing um, to keep his spot. Um, obviously, he's got the 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 scenario where his dad's the the boss, but um, sooner rather than later, results are going to have to be delivered, and and he needs to start delivering on on his talent and, and getting the results further up the field. So he knows that. I don't think we need to tell him a hundred times that he needs to improve. He knows that he needs to improve. He knows he's probably doing all he can to improve. So. Um, it's just going to be on him to get to get the job done. Um, in terms of how they go at the, at the mountain at this year's 1000, um, I've got them in the in between 21 and 25. Um, I've got them probably as the third best BJR car behind Jack's. Uh, sorry, in front of Jack Smith, but just behind uh, Bryce Forward and Andre Heimgardner. So pretty pretty similar to last year. They're going to be the third best. They were third best. They finished 12th um, in the race, so they did a pretty pretty good last year and. A 12th position could easily be done again um, if, if um, the, the team keeps themselves out of trouble and they just they just stay on the lead lap. So um, that, that's what they'll be probably aiming for, a top 10 finish and, um, yeah, getting in that result. 
Car number 97, one of the other contenders in the race, one of the other uh, big shots for victory. They won the race together in 2020. They were right in contention until they had a tyre fame in the late stages of the race last year. I'm talking about Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tander, SVG, currently the championship leader. He has been the dominant force in this year's Supercars Championship. At Bathurst, he's had 15 starts, 13 finishes, best result, the win in 2020 with GT. As for GT, he's had 23 starts at the mountain, 16 finishes, and he's won the race four times. 2000 with Jason Varguana, 2009 with Will Davidson, 2011 with Nick Perkett, and 2020 with SVG. Last year, they were defeated by Mostert and Holdsworth. This year, though, based on Van Gisbergen's form in the championship and the fact that he's backed up by a very able co-driver in Garth Tander, you would have to say that they are a very good chance of recapturing the Peter Brock trophy. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, so with every team, I've ranked them out of 30, 10 for each category. And Van Gisbergen and Tander, for me, are number one. They've got the highest ranking out of all combinations. And in terms of the number, it was 29 out of 30. They were one point away from perfection, per se. Um, the only the only thing I, I had to deduct half a point for the driver combo and I had to deduct half a point for form because Shane Van Gisbergen's qualifying form has probably not been as good as what it has been in previous years. But at the Bathurst 1000, it means absolutely nothing. You can qualify 15th and still win the race. You can qualify, as Chas Mostert tested to, you can qualify dead last and still win the race. So qualifying at the 1000 doesn't entirely mean too much compared to the rest of the season. But we mentioned earlier with double A, 88, that if double stacking becomes an issue, then 97 can get caught out on it if 88 is in front of them and vice versa. If 97 is in front, then 88 can get caught out as well. So that's the biggest issue for them. But I mean, the the reality is this combination only lost last year's race because there was one combination that was better than it, which was Chas Mostert and Lee Holdsworth and Shane Van Gisbergen pushed way too hard trying to catch up to him, knowing that he, if he put all of his effort into the basket, he could try and catch them, but he put too much effort into the basket and destroyed the tyres. Um, but that's Shane. He will, he will put himself in a, into a position to win or bust, knowing that he will, he will win at all costs. Now, that win at all costs isn't that on lap 20, he'll, he'll make a ridiculous move and potentially put everyone at risk in terms of the car and, and putting it into a wall. Shane, more so with 30 laps to go, will take every risk possible to win the race. Um, this combination, based on the year so far, should win Bathurst. Um, it's been the, the dominant car all season. It's been the best car on tyres all season. It's been the best car setup-wise all season. And if you, look at, if you look at the form of Shane from a Saturday into a Sunday... If Shane hasn't been in the window on Saturday, by the time we get racing on Sunday, it's in the window. Now, at the 1,000, it's critical that if it's not critical to start the race with a good car. It's critical to finish the race with a good car. Shane and the team knows how to do that. They know how to deliver the car into that window in the last 30 laps. And Garth Tander is one of the best drivers at setting up cars to put it in the window. They'll probably spend the first four practice sessions putting the race pace into that car and then they'll figure out qualifying later on. 
that will be one of the first combinations to focus on the race rather than actually being quick out of the blocks because they know you don't win the race on Saturday and you don't win it on Friday, you win it on Sunday. So to me, everything for them should lead to winning this race and they should be clear favourites. Um, but we all know that Bathurst can throw different things and different spanners. Um, so to me, they're the number one combination. They're, they're my tip for the for the 1,000. I, 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 based on the form this year, I can't see anyone coming out and beating them. If they do, it's going to take a, a brilliant effort. Mike Holdsworth and um, Mostert last year. But this is the combination for me that should go on and win the race. And they'll probably start one of the shortest favourites that we've ever seen for the, for the 1,000. The other issue, the other factor is, which will help them, is there's no pressure on him. Shane's got no pressure on the championship. He's not He's not got the pressure of being a defending champion. Everyone else is going to get pressure on them this weekend. Shane, on, on the weekend of the 1,000. So Shane's going to have no pressure. And, yeah, he, he should deliver, given his form this year. No doubt that they are, on paper, the combinations have been. But as we've seen time and time again at the Bathurst 1,000, often it's the combinations that are good on paper that don't necessarily deliver on race day. Three cars to get through. Uh, last of our full-time cars is car number 99, the Erebus Motorsport Commodore of Brody Kostecki and David Russell, which finished on the podium last year. Brody Kostecki, three starts, two finishes, best result that third place last year with David Russell, who has had 12 starts, eight finishes, and again, best result was that podium last year. So we've already talked about Erebus and the fact that their recent Bathurst form has been pretty strong. So do we see these guys defending their podium? No. To be honest, <laughs> there <we> no. Go. <laughs> so so the, the, while Erebus have been really good in terms of them at the mountain, Brody Kostecki's form compared to his teammate hasn't been so good. If you look at where Brody's been doing really well, it's purely in wet weather conditions. You take that element out, he's been not as good as his teammate. And Will Brown's been leading the charge for Erebus this year. Um, we've seen in, at Sandown. Even, even the, though Brody Kostecki's ninth in the championship and Will Brown's 13th in the championship. Yeah, well, the last two rounds, the last two races at Pukekohe, he had a DNF and a DNS. And I think the margin between 13th and 9th is about 100 points. Is that right? Uh, 1,485 for Brody Kostecki, 1,312. So it's it's a bit more. It's actually 173 points. True. So, but there was periods of time where Will Brown was really struggling, and Brody was still able to finish around the top 10. But when the, when when Erebus have had the car that's been really good, Brown's been more than likely leading the charge um, ahead of Brody. This combination can absolutely do well and we've seen it do well previously um they finished on the podium last year and Brody at the mountain is a beast um don't don't <laughs> good luck trying to get past him and good luck trying to keep him behind you um when, when he's on a charge so there's that factor um I just think there's too many factors this year for Brody that he hasn't been in the form of previous years to, to warrant me to think that he's going to be there or thereabouts again um I think there's other combinations that are far better and I think Will Brown and Jack Perkins if that car can get into window will be better than, than Brody, and that brings up double stacking as well. So I have them a little bit further down. I have them just inside the top 10. But again, I had them just inside the top 10 last year. I think I had them eighth or ninth last year, and they finished third. So it's certainly a combination I won't be um, I won't be ignoring at the 1,000. I'll have them certainly there or thereabouts because they did it last year, 
and the combination can certainly do it again this year. All right, let's move on to the final two cars in the field. Two wildcard entries, car number 118 for Matt Charter Motorsport, shared by Matt Charter and Jay Robotham, who were both on debut in the Bathurst 1000. They have both had previous experience at Mount Panorama, but in terms of the actual 1000, it's the first time that either of them have started the great race. I would have to say, Shane, that out of the three wildcard entries on the entry list, this is probably the third best out of them. Um, purely down to the, the lack of experience of the two drivers. Agreed? 100%. It's an incredible effort. I mean, ta- let, let, let's just take away the, the, the fact that like, we won't talk about the competitiveness in, for just a second. Take, take this. Take, let, let's just knuckle the, the, the combination down. So you've got a, fir- a team racing at the mountain for the first time. You've got the main driver racing at the mountain in the 1,000 for the first time. And then you've got Robotham racing as well for the first time. So for them just to make it on the grid and to do what they need to do is going to be an achievement in itself. And I think for that, it should be applauded. To get, to get the resources together, the, the ticks for the super license there and everything else to get on the grid, it should be applauded. Um, I, I yeah, people... Matt, Matt's dad, Armin Charter, he's a super passionate motorsport enthusiast. He's done a fair bit of racing himself. And I know that he and, and his small team, which are based in Albury, not too far away from Brad Jones Racing, I know that they've put in a massive effort to get this program together. So full credit to them. And we often malign teams and drivers for having a crack and having a go when they may not be up to pace of certain scenarios, but we also got to applaud them. I mean, this is, this is a huge, huge task that they've put themselves um, under to do it. And I think Machado is still racing Super 2 as well. Is that right? Yes, but Jay Robotham isn't. So Robotham has stepped out of the Super 2 car to focus on the 1000 campaign. But that means they're still preparing two cars for that weekend. So they're focusing on the Super 2 car, but then they're straight out focusing on the 1000 car as well. So that's either going to require double the work or you're going to put your current workers under a little bit more pressure to get the job done for that weekend. So it's a massive effort and congratulations to them. But the reality is it's a massive task for them to be competitive. You've got two drivers racing for the first time. You've got a team that have never raced at the mountain before. Um, it, there's just all these factors that make it really difficult to sit here and go, yeah, they're going to be a contender in any shape, form or imagination. The fact is the focus for these guys is just purely to finish. Yeah, they can finish, yeah. get it sorted out, finish inside the top 20, then congratulations. That would be a tick. They can all sit there and um, celebrate long into the night after that because I think it would be a fantastic achievement. And, and the reality is this might be the last wild card not only for these guys, but for we'll get to the last one in a second, but for Greg Murphy and um, Richie Stanaway, this might be the last wild card we have for one to two to maybe three years. Because once Gen 3 starts, a lot of the teams aren't going to use their chassis, their spare chassis for wild cards. They're going to be keeping those chassis for themselves just in case certain scenarios happen throughout next year because teams are going to build the two cars that they're going to race and then they're going to have a spare. And that spare is going to be kept in case something happens. It's going to take two to three years to build the stock of cars up to get the wild cards coming back. So we could have no more wild cards for two to three, maybe even four years after this year. So we should embrace the wild cards. We should we should celebrate the fact that they're in the in the race. And yes, 
if one or two of them hold up a, a driver for a couple of seconds with the blue flag, if they hold them up for too long, they'll get penalised anyway. Supercars won't won't let them get away with it. And it really shouldn't impact the race anyway because we usually get a safety car with 20 to 30 laps to go and the drivers at the front will be the drivers at the front and the drivers at the back will be the drivers at the back. So to, to everyone who goes, oh, these guys will cost someone a race, I highly doubt it will. And we should applaud the fact that these guys are in and it adds numbers to the field. We've got 28 for the first time in a long time and it's great to have 28. So we should embrace it. We should celebrate the fact that they're in it and hope that these two have a, a fantastic time, do really well and can finish inside the top 20. I do agree that just getting to the chequered flag will be an achievement in itself for these two drivers. I think that anything above top 25 would be a, a bonus. I think the other thing is they'll probably try and stay on the lead lap for as long as they can. I, I'm, I'm not sure that they'll be able to do that. and It will depend on safety cars and, and strategy and, and all the rest of it. I, I think that on pure pace, if we get long green flag stints, they probably will go down a lap. But of course, with the regulations now, there is the wave around. So there's the chance to get laps back as well. The lucky but yeah, dog. The lucky dog. But I, I think their priority just needs to be staying out of trouble, making sure they don't get mixed up with the race leaders and making sure they get to the finish. Final car in the field, car number 888, also a wild card entry. Declan Fraser is on debut, but what a driver he has showing him the ropes in his first Bathurst 1000 start. It's Craig Lowndes, who's had 28 starts on the mountain, 24 finishes and seven wins. 1996 with Greg Murphy, 2006, 07 and 08 with Jamie Wincup, 2010 with Mark Scaife, and then 2015 and 2018 with Stephen Richards. And you would have to say that out of the three wildcard entries, this is probably both the best resourced and the best credentialed in terms of drivers with recent seat time. So the big question here is who's going to qualify the car? Don't know. Come on. <laughs> Get off the fence and pick someone. Look, I'd probably have to say allows just on the back of experience. But in saying that it might be a good experience for Declan Fraser to have that chance to qualify it as well. So probably come down to who's faster in practice. So so don't read into the fact that Lowndes is the main game driver or the main driver and Declan is the co-driver. The reason for that is to give Declan more time in the car because in, in the Bathurst 1000, there's specific sessions that are only co-driver only. So to give Declan more of an opportunity to get used to the car, they've given him the opportunity to have those exclusive co-driver sessions Whereas for the rest of the sessions, it can be either um, Lowndes or Fraser in the car. So what they've done, which is really clever, by the way, they've given Declan more of an opportunity to get in sync with the car and then given Lowndes the opportunity to be in the car for the rest of the period of time, obviously working on strategy and setup and those sort of things. It's a really clever scenario for Triple Eight. It does provide a curveball of, as to who, who will start start. Uh, who will qualify the car because to be really honest, I actually think Declan Fraser should be given a crack at it. Uh, much like what Brock Feeney, um, much like the opportunity Brock Feeney had last year where um, he was given first crack at um, the qualifying and he almost got it into the top 10. And I mean, Declan Fraser's had a fantastic year. He leads the super two series. I know last year um, he had a massive crash at the 1000 and a lot of people will look into that as whether he'll be good or, or not this year, but you can't, take one crash as a as a be-all and end-all. It, it can be a factor 
for sure. But you can't take one crash as a, oh, this guy can drive or this guy cannot drive. Declan's clearly leading the Super 2, cha- uh, Super 2 Championship on merit. He's beating some of the other drivers that we've already spoken about pretty highly in this podcast that are co-drivers for this um, for this um, for this race. So Declan can certainly do a good job. I'm just not sure that this combination's competitive enough to potentially win a race or finish inside the top three. I know the bookies have got them rated really highly. They're in the top seven in terms of combination. So that would mean that they're that the bookies are thinking that they're inside the top six. I just don't have them in the top six. I don't even have them in the top 10. I have them outside the top 10. So for me, it's a bit like last year. A lot of people are rating this com- rating the Brock Feeney-Ingle combination highly because of a range of factors. Yes, it's a triple eight car. Yes, it's got this person in the car. And yes, it's got this. But the problem is you've got so many factors that are against it that it's going to be very hard for them to be competitive and get inside the top 10. And I think this is what those situations... As I mentioned before with Winkup and Lowndes, Lowndes is not getting any younger. He's going to hit that wall sooner rather than later where he's just not as competitive as he once was. I don't like saying that. I love Lowndes. He's been a great driver and he's arguably one of the best, if not the best. But there does come a point in time where the driver's just not good enough anymore. Whether that will happen this year, we just don't know. But Lowndes hasn't, hasn't been in a car this year. He's hardly been in a car. He didn't race in the Porsche Carrera Cup. He hasn't done much racing in supercars he's had that session and he's obviously had the multiple test uh, test sessions with super cheap but he hasn't been in a car in anger much throughout the year that has to have an impact and the Mm -hmm. same with Declan this is his first Bathurst 1000 that pressure is going to come to him at some point so they'll be very they'll do very well to finish inside the top 10 if they do I think that's actually a really good achievement I think top six and top three is a bit of a stretch for them Great in terms of your predictions for their finishing position and also great the fact that the lack of seat time in race conditions for Lowndes this year is a bit of a disadvantage. He was trying to put together a career cup program again, but he couldn't get the budget together, which in itself is, is a bit of a concern. If you've got someone with the profile of Craig Lowndes who can't get the sponsorship together to do career cup, that raises a lot of other questions about the sport, which probably makes up a whole other podcast. But anyway, that is all 28 cars in the field covered. So now, Shane, it's time for us to put in our fearless predictions. I'm going to start off with who we think is going to be the best of the wildcard entries. And I think both of us are probably in agreement. And I sort of touched on it before. I think the Fraser and Louds car is probably the best placed of the three wildcards. Would you agree? I agree but I think it's going to be closer than what people think between Lowndes and Fraser and Murphy and Stanaway. I'll, I'll go with Lowndes and Fraser just for the sheer fact that I think that that car will be better prepared. But don't be surprised if Murphy and Stanaway finish higher. It, wouldn't, it won't surprise me if it happens. One of the other interesting contests this year is for the best rookie driver in the race. Now, Last year, it was very easy to predict because there was only one rookie, and that was Zach Best. But this year, we've got no less than seven rookie drivers on the grid. Jackson Evans, Matt Payne, Aaron Seaton, Cameron Hill, Declan Fraser, Matt Charter, and Jay Robotham. Who do you think will be the best out of those? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. It um, is. It is really tough. I'll lean towards... Lee Holdsworth and Matt Payne. I just I just think that 
Um, similar to last year, the Triple Eight wildcard might have a bit of a win it, bin it policy, and I think Declan might be given a license to do some things, and he might make a mistake or two that might push him back. Whereas obviously Lee will be in the car to finish the race uh, with Holdsworth and Payne, so I reckon that combination might finish just a fraction higher. But I think it's between those two. I think it's Declan and uh, Matt Payne. Okay, I, I think. In terms of a result, yes, but in terms of drivers that I'm going to be curious about, I, I just have a feeling that Jackson Evans is going to do something impressive just with his overseas experience and everything that he's learned the last few years that he's been racing as part of the, the Porsche programs abroad. I just think that he might surprise a few people. But, again, you're right. In terms of a race result, you have to consider not just the rookie driver but who their co-driver is as well. And I know you're not going to say it because you're obviously heavy, heavily connected to him, but Cameron Hill is someone to look out for as well. I think he's genuinely a driver that has a very good chance of being a full-time driver in the next one to two to even three years. And um, this is his big chance to shine, and I think he's going to do a fantastic job this year. All right, this is a slightly more negative prediction, but we'll talk about it anyway. Who do we think is going to be the first retirement? Oh, <sighs> that's a tough one. Um, I, I need to probably go back through the, the record books to see who was the last retirement in, in different years. Um, so what I might do is I might let you go first and then I might come back with my prediction. <laughs> All right. Uh, unfortunately, I think that the first retirement's going to be one of the Matt Stone racing cars. And I've got an awful feeling that it might be the Jack LeBrock and Aaron Seaton car. It's just Jack LeBrock this year, he's been a bit of a trouble magnet, as we've discussed. And I've just got the feeling that either some sort of early race incident or it might be a mechanical problem that puts that car out of proceedings. I might might stick with you on that one. I might go the, unfortunately, the other one, Todd Hazelwood and Jaden Ajada. So Matt Stone Racing in the last two years, uh, in terms of the top three first retirements, they've had the third the third one and the second one. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's not looking good for them, I'll be brutally honest. So, yeah, you'll take ja- uh, Jack LeBrock and I might take Todd. But, look, I don't want any anyone to, fin- to not finish the race. Um, but yeah, Matt Stone Racing has had a habit of having at least one retirement from their entries over the last three years. I've just looked back at 2019 as well, and that was the second, um, the second best, well, best first retirement as well. So um, yeah, the last three years they've either had the second first retirement or the third first retirement. So yeah, not not boding well for them for sure. By which you mean either the second retirement or the third retirement from the race, yeah? That's that's correct, yeah. <laughs> but like the, the next the next retirement after the first retirement. Yeah, okay. Or yep. the third retirement after the first retirement. Understood, yep. All right, uh, Dark Horse. So somebody who, who you're not going to pick for a podium because we will, we will put in our podium predictions next, but somebody else just to watch out for who might surprise everyone. I mentioned it before, Thomas Randall and Zach Best. I think those two um, are ones that can certainly provide a surprising result. And given that their pace is pretty identical to each other, strategy will be really good for them. And, um, yeah, 
they may not have the outright pace of some of the others, but I think strategy could work them into a nice position towards the end of the race. Again, not that I'm biased or anything, but James Golding and Dylan O'Keefe are my dark horse. I think that they're every chance of finishing in the top 10. All right. Finally, time for us to put our proverbial money where our mouth is and predict our top three finishes for the great race. So I've got Brock Feeney and we'll go from three to one. So Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup in third, Cameron Waters and James Moffat in second. And yeah, really no surprise. Shane Van Gisbergen and Garth Tanner to win it all. Um, yeah, that, they'll if, if, if they start on pole or they start in the top three, they might be one of the shortest teams to win the race, probably since 2006 where Mark Scaife and Garth Tander started on pole and, well, we all know how that ended, but um, they were one of the shortest to, to, to be favourites for the race. But, yeah, this combination, yeah, it, it's theirs to lose pretty much. So just to mix things up a bit, I'm not even going to put Tander and Van Gisbergen on the podium. I just think that they're such runaway favourites that something's going to go wrong. It's just... <laughs> Too too much that seems too good to be true about that com- um, that combination. So I don't think they're going to win it this year. On paper, yes, they're the favourites, but I just have this feeling that, no, something's going to happen. So third place for me, Will and Alex Davison to finally get that overdue podium finish. Second, Brock Feeney and Jamie Winkup. And first, Cameron Waters and James Moffat. I think that Cameron Waters, having been second the last two years, he will be hungrier than ever for a win, and I think that he's due for one. Sounds good. There we go. So there are our predictions for the drivers that you'll be seeing on the podium in this year's edition of the Repco Bathurst 1000. Gee, it's been a long podcast, this one. We've been going for over two hours now, but it's a, a pretty comprehensive analysis of every car in the field. There's more cars in the field than there were before. That's why we've gone longer. That's my reason. and That's what I'm going to stick to. But Shane, a pleasure as always to have uh, been joined by your expert comments and analysis. So thanks for jumping on board. Thank you, Lockie. And um, wherever you're watching the race, enjoy it. It's, it's a fantastic race to watch. And um, last year's race was an absolute ripper. So it was the year before. And so it's been the last 10 for all, for all that matters. But it should be a fantastic uh, race to to watch. And, um, yeah, if you're holding a Ford, cheer, cheer for your team. And, um, yeah, hopefully for Holden's sake in their last ever race, uh, it can be a really good one for them. There you have it, your complete and comprehensive guide to every car in the field for this year's Repco Bathurst 1000. If you're at the track this weekend, make sure you come and say hi. And whether you're trackside or watching at home on TV, I hope you enjoy this year's great race. I'm Lockie the Geek. Thanks for listening.